it's the next level. Welcome, Primers, as we continue on with our summer annuals, this time journeying forth to Legends of Tomorrow Season 3 from the Showcast Spotlight here on the Next Level Podcast Network. I am Ben Beck. And from the Caffeine Crew cast of Pods, I am Rob Martin. And I know we're excited because this is an annual we're actually looking forward to doing. <laughs> yeah. You can no, yeah, no, we love, we love doing the annual, so it's, it's oh, not really... it's. Whether we're whether we're raving about a show or we're bitching about a show, we like to do them either way. So it's 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 all in good fun. But this is one that um, this is one that proved difficult for us to do. Whereas you know the past ones and the upcoming ones, it's difficult for us to find our favorites of things. Uh, this time around, we found a number of favorite things, and it was difficult for us to find our least favorites this time. Yeah, uh, I will say least favorite. Uh, favorite characters actually were surprisingly very, very easy uh, for me. Uh, I will say um, from you and me have spoken a little bit uh, about things, but we never gave each other answers on anything. I think with the exception of I told you my least and favorite episodes, but you didn't tell me yours. And we did find out that all of our stuff is different. Well, I told you I told you my least favorite episode. Oh yes, yes, you did, you did. But I didn't tell you my favorites. I we do know that they're different though. So, and, and I have a feeling with so many different moments this season, I think a lot of our stuff is going to be different this time around. Yeah, and I'm really excited about that. I, and that's it, and that's one of the reasons why when we were prepping, I was like, you know what? Let's not reveal it. Let's just reveal it while we're recording. So, w- as you guys are hearing this, we're hearing each other's um, opinions on all of this at the same time for the first time. Which uh, is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this kind of breaks down and uh, how we how we dive into this. So, yeah. So uh, for those of you that are just joining us for the first time in an annual, just to give you an idea of the format this time around, since it is done a little differently from our regular ones, uh, we're going to break down the entire season, season three of Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, we're going to give you our least favorite and favorite characters, least favorite and favorite moment or aspect of the season, least favorite and favorite. Uh, episodes, <clears throat> excuse me, of the season. At the end, we're going to rate the villains, uh, of the, of the season in our two tiered rating, that being one to ten, one through three being sidekick, four through seven being hero, and eight through ten being legend. And then we're going to do the same thing for the season as a whole, as well as probably make some, uh, additional notes and maybe some predictions going into season four of next year. So, and then we'll bring you the news and our recommendations and everything as we usually do at the end. But, uh, you want to jump into this? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, it's, uh, I'm, this is, this season is, man, this was something special. I I really, there's not enough good words I can say about season three of Legends. It was a show that everybody will openly admit it was a fun premise in season one. 
uh, that got off to a very shaky, shaky well, start. Well, not every low. not everybody will be openly enough to admit because I I do know a couple of people who just Legends was just never their thing. They just oh, never yeah. got into it. And with the exception of watching the episode that was pro- that was part of Crisis on Earth X, they didn't watch anything of Legends yeah. this year. Um, I have a friend who <clears throat> fell very much behind in all of the Arrowverse stuff, and she messaged me the other night, and she said, hey, I'm finally caught up on the Arrowverse. And I'm like, oh, that's great. What would you think of Arrow? And she shared my opinion on Arrow. And I was like, well, what did you think of Legends? She's like, I-, I-, I didn't get caught up on Legends. I was like, well, then you're not caught up on the Arrowverse. Stop lying. <laughs> she's like, well, I watched the episode from Crisis. I'm like, you need to watch the whole season. Yeah, you really do. It, it, it impacts quite a bit. Um, and I think really in, in, in the grand scheme of things, um, and it was kind of like, as I was saying, it's like, you know, when Legends started as a show, it, it had a very shaky start. And by the end of season one, it left us with the beautiful stinger of, you know, the JLA. And we get into season two and season two is just mass improvement over mass improvement. We had a great team of villains that ended kind of eh. Uh, but it was still a fun season, just didn't stick its landing. And season three starts. <laughs> and season three, it it was a goofy, silly started uh, start to the season. And you're like, okay, okay. And then as it continues and continues and continues, like, man, this is just uh, this is kind of brilliant. And Phil Klemmer and 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 Mark Guggenheim uh, really put together a great start and set up to what was to come. And uh, man, Phil Klemmer just did an amazing job of, of just taking the reins of the show saying, this is the direction we don't have to do things the same way as everybody else. And they proved that they were top dog by the end of it. They absolutely yeah, did. It's just, it, <clears throat> it's a show that unlike all the other shows, just at no point ever took itself too seriously. And, I'm sure we're going to touch on that when we start going into a lot of our favorite moments and aspects of the season, because the, whereas, you know, some of the, where we've done the Supergirl annual and we've done the Black Lightning annual, we've had like <clears throat> one honorable mention of like favorite character and favorite aspect and, and such like that. This is the time around where I have like my favorite moment. And that was tough to pick between all 10 of my honorable mentions. You know, so like we're not even going to be able to talk about all of them because one, it would take too long, and two, it's it's just not fair to pick a favorite and then talk about twenty others because then you're kind of taken away from your favorite. So you're going to hear a number of them, I'm sure, but it's it's just this is one of those seasons. It's just it's one of those shows. It's just so much fun, and I encourage people all the time that when they're when they say they never got into Legends, and it was mainly because of season one, as you said, which was a season that kind of struggled and it needed to find itself. And it found itself in season two and in season three. It just – It improved on that formula. Yeah. And, and it, it, Yeah. It, and and I, you know what I really love about this show too? It's not afraid to take massive, massive risks. No. You, you actually believe that every character <clears throat> on this show – and they even just based on the premise of what the show was and why Rip chose the people that they they he did. They were inconsequential to the timeline. Uh, these are characters. And when you say that in the start of your series, you truly believe everyone here is at risk at all times. Uh, th- there have been a number of deaths uh, in the show, some of them undone, some of them not. Um 
And it's kind of interesting when you watch the show because sometimes you really don't know what's to come. And uh, this is a show that when it, it, you know, when those times happen, it does not pull its punches. So it's it's very interesting because this is the only show I feel that currently is in the Arrowverse that really makes me sometimes terrified for the characters and what's to come for them and the fate of some of these people. Where in the other shows, you feel that the majority of them are fairly safe. And more more times than not, when there is a death, it's just to kind of shake up the formula just a little bit. In Legends, usually those deaths are heroic sacrifices. And they're ones sometimes you don't expect and sometimes from the characters you least expect them to be coming from. So they they do something very special that I think the other shows could learn a lot from. And uh, man, I, I'm I'm already ready to geek out about this annual review. Like, <laughs> yeah, this, this was the one I was dying for and waiting for. And I was just so ready. So <laughs> uh, no, I, I, and I'm right there with you. And it's, uh, you, you know, you mentioned the characters and how any of them are, you know, if there, there's been a number of deaths and the deaths usually heroic and such, uh, that same friend that I was talking to hasn't watched because they killed off snart. And I was like, well, I'm like, you kind of need to keep watching because you never know when he's going to return. I'm not telling you whether or not he does, but you, but if she watched Crisis on Earth X, she already knows the answer to that question because he returned to Citizen Cold in Crisis on Earth X, which is another thing I need to go back and rewatch. I need to go back and rewatch the, the crossover mm-hmm. from this year. But this is, a, you know, but on that note, this is one of those ones where when we did the Black Lightning annual, I, There were moments that I enjoyed, but I didn't feel that urge to go back and rewatch the entire season. Same with Supergirl. As much as I really enjoyed the season, I didn't feel the urge to go back and rewatch. But doing my preparation for this annual, I I had to constantly fight the urge. And I I think I'm going to give into it at some point once we're done recording the annuals that I want to go back and rewatch this season. Yeah, uh, well, it was funny, as you mentioned prep, and I even told you when we were talking before we got started, as I was doing my prep last night before I crashed, uh, I listened to Return of the Mac on repeat as I was going <laughs> through it because it's the perfect anthem for <laughs> this season because it's so dumb and goofy and perfect because of how it ties into the season early on. And uh, it changed that song changes the trajectory of this season dramatically. Yeah. Episodes one through four were, hey, yep, this is very much Legends of Tomorrow. Then episode five hits and you're like, well, things just got a lot more interesting uh, in that episode uh, where we we do hear that song played in a number of ways. Uh, (laughs) And it's it it was uh, it was very fitting as I was going through. And I was as as I was listening to to that song, as I was going through stuff, I had the dumbest smile on my face. And I'm like, man, I am so ready to just tear through this season from start to finish yet again. And I'm looking, you know, looking at the season as a whole and looking at, uh, you know, these episodes and how they kind of, yes, there was an overarching story this time around. It was, it was <clears throat> still kind of, it still had the whole, you know, adventure of the week kind of feel to it, but with an overarching story this time, which was a little different than the past two seasons. Um, or they did it more so this season than they have in the past two. Thinking about that, if Legends was in fact a comic book, this is a comic book I would make sure I got every week. I This is a comic book I would make sure was in my pool every week because I would not want to miss an issue. And I'm, I kind of wish it was a comic book, to be honest. Yeah. No, you never know. 
Yeah, uh, DC DC does some interesting things. So, Very true. Um, yeah, uh, I, let's just get into it then. I guess yeah. that's that's I guess it's time. Um, all right, it's going to be interesting to see where we go with this because again, I, I don't know many of yours. Uh, you don't know many of mine at all. But let's kick things off with characters, and as we've been doing for at least for the last one, let's start with least and. Okay. You said yours was pretty easy to determine. Um, mine was more difficult. Like, I literally looked through a list of all the characters from season three, and I was like, nope, 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 uh, mate, nope, nope, I, I don't know. Like, I, and I'm literally basing mine just on this is the first name that popped into my head. <laughs> no, um, I get that. And it was, it was really tough. Least favorites for all of this season for this annual were really difficult to come up with. Um, so I mean, if you don't mind, I'm going to start this one off. Please do. Uh, just because I really, again, I don't have any reasoning behind it. It's just the first name that popped into my head. Um, Kuasa. Ah, same as mine, actually. Okay. On that one. All right. Um, uh, you know, then you go into your reasoning for it because maybe that's, it'll start to kick off why mine was, Mine, it, why it makes more sense to me. Well, I think for me, when we were introduced to Kawasa, I think the first time, and uh, if memory serves correctly, I think we see her at the stinger of the end of episode two, I believe. Maybe it might be the case. Or, and that was, uh, yeah, it was the end, of, very end of episode two when we see her kind of emerging out of the water uh, before we kind of truly meet her in episode three. Uh, she seems like a very empty character. She, they didn't seem like she had this really huge reason to be there but as you know we go through the season she absolutely did like finding out that she was uh oh my god who's the original vixen that we were introduced to uh, it's the megalonike version of vixen we'll yes, just put it that yes. way um because i can't remember her actual character name uh in this was it was it mari i think it was it sounds about right oh um amari 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 yeah so, um, you know, we find out that she was basically the one passed up uh, on getting the totem. She was the older sister. It should have gone to her. Uh, but because everything that happened in Zambezi in what was it, the early 90s, uh, when, you know, the tribe is basically destroyed and, you know, the family got separated and split, uh, she was kind of left behind and uh, was passed over. And it went to Amari instead, who was our present day version of Vixen. So. I was like, okay, that's an interesting idea and a concept. But like when we were introduced to her, I'm like, uh, is this going to be our big bad for the season? And they kind of made us believe that was the case up until episode five. But she never felt like she fully materialized. And she was a, a villain that never felt fully like a villain, which was true. We did see her really struggle with Amaya going back and forth on how things were functioning with the two of them and how that was going to work. And Amaya herself. And basically kind of had, you know, a lens over her eyes when she she dealt with her throughout the entirety of the season that led into some interesting areas. But we did see her ultimately kind of sacrifice herself mm -hmm. uh, in the process of all of this and kind of ended up on the hero side of the spectrum uh, when she kind of took the bullet for uh, it was Nate, I believe, if memory serves correctly. Yes, it I, was Nate. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, when uh, we saw Nora Dark uh, <clears throat> under under control of Mollus. Uh, so it was very interesting to watch her character develop and grow, but it felt like out of everybody that was in the season as a whole, that was a true 
character that we were following the story of, she felt like the least uh, least fully cooked. Um, not to say she was a bad character, but I feel like there was a layer to her that was still kind of missing. No, I mean, and that's exactly what I was saying in that it was very difficult for me to choose a least favorite character because I don't think there was any character that really just absolutely stood out to me as like, oh, this character is deplorable. Like, why do we keep doing this with this character and, and such? Kawasa is certainly not that not that way at all. Kuwasa certainly played her role throughout this season. But, you know, you look at the season as a whole when you look at a character who, you're right, started out as not exactly a completely flushed out person, somebody we thought was a villain and really did portray a villain for the most part. And then by the end of this season is helping the legends in their quest to defeat Malus. And it's completely understandable why she makes that turn by the end of it. But I think you're right. I think it's one of those things that just looking back for some reason, she just kind of falls to the bottom because I don't think her character was as completely flushed out as everybody else. Right. And especially when you kind of compare her to when we kind of peeled back the layers on characters like Nora Dark and Damien uh, and even Mollus to to an angle. um, They were fairly fleshed out ideas, uh, especially Nora and Damien. Um, we, we got so much more about those two characters. One of those characters being somebody that we've seen a numerous amount of times already. Um, but this season alone really showed us who he really, really was, which was really just special to watch, uh, with Damien. And then Nora though, too, seeing her past and how everything impacted her, uh, and how she became the person she is and where she ends up by the end of it was really wonderful to watch. And I, you know, Mollus was kind of like this just... It was kind of like the best way to put it. It was he was like the nothing of the never ending story versus more of an actual person or thing until the very end. But it was still it still worked because it was still felt like this massive threat, regardless of what was happening. And it was a threat that really worked in Legends of Tomorrow. But we'll get into that more when we go into the villain angle. But Kawasa, you're right, just never never felt like she had the same layers as those the three others or our main cast of characters. And you know what? It's that's an interesting um that's an interesting comparison to make too, as I never really thought of that. And but you're right. Mollis and this is again going into something we'll talk more when we talk about rating the villains at the end, but you're right, Mollis was more an idea than an actual physical being until the very end of the season. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually going to I think that's going to affect my rating for the villains when we get to the end. It, it was it was the nothing with the voice voice of John Noble. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, um, absolutely. So and it, um, it, but, yeah, it, it, you know, yeah, like I said. So, yeah, Kawasa, um, I think, unfortunately, we'll take the honor of least favorite. Uh, but by no means do we think she was a terrible character. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, but that brings us to our favorite character. Of the season, because um, I'm, I'm sure we're going to have at least an, one honorable mention from each of us. Um, but I'll let you do the honors of this one, and because it'd be interesting. Again, I, I don't know where we both stand. I don't know if this is something. I was even surprised that we shared that one. Yeah. Um. So it'll be interesting to see if we share this one. But I'll let you take the lead on this one. Who was sure. your, your uh, favorite character of the season? So I actually had a three-way runner-up tie. Uh, for making this decision. So, um. My runner-ups for this, and definitely honor, honorable mentions, was Gary. <laughs> of course. Uh, Bebo, of course. Of course. Uh, and John Constantine. Uh, okay. So all these characters were really fun and really wonderful. Um, and really, 
they had their purpose and place in the show. Bebo more more specifically in, in the joking angle because we adore Bebo. Uh, but Gary was – there's something fun about Gary uh, that every time he came back, you had a dumb smile on your face because he was such an interesting character in the mix and stuck in all of this. Do, it kept do, appearing. Do you know what I kind of relate Gary to? If you've ever seen Ghostbusters 2 – yeah. At the end, when Rick Moranis puts on the suit. Puts yeah, on the but it was Tully. He's like, oh my god, I'm, I'm a I, Ghostbuster! Like, yeah. that's Gary. <laughs> it is. It really is. And John John got a chance to kind of cook a little bit more this season from where we left off when we'd seen him previously in the Arrowverse and from his original show on NBC. Uh, and it was great. And I'm pretty sure he's going to end up probably at the top of this list next year when we talk about season four. Most uh, likely. But my favorite character this season, hands down, Damian Dark. Damn it! Uh, <laughs> That's he, mine too. He fully deserved that role. But I'll let oh, you. Gosh. I'll let you take that honor to to explain, and I'll I'll jump in at the end. No, after. I mean you're absolutely right. Like it, I'm, I'm. I don't. I think you know what? I think this is probably going to be the last time out of the annual we're going to have the same picks because there's so many more to choose from from moments and episodes and such. Whereas characters, I think there there really wasn't any shadow of a doubt. Like. When I look at all the characters, don't get me wrong, all of the legends are fantastic. I'm still a big Ray fan. Even though we didn't get to see him as Adam too much this season, I'm, I was still a huge fan of Ray and some of the story that he went through. I made no bones about it last season. I've seen it. I've seen the episode pop up on lists of worst episodes of Legends of Tomorrow, but uh, the Once in Future King and Camelot episode that we got with, with Brandon Routh, I, just having the opportunity to talk to him about that episode was great. So I, I loved it. But there was no doubt in my mind, looking at all these characters, Damien shot to the top of the list. This is a character that, as you mentioned, you know, we thought that we we knew who the big bads were going into the first couple episodes, first four episodes of the season. And then we get to episode five with, uh, you know, Return of the Mac and everything changes. And from that point on, Damien is such a, an interweaved character a character, as a, again, as you mentioned, that we've seen numerous times, not just in Legends of Tomorrow, but in the Arrowverse as a whole. We've seen him as, you know, we saw him as the big bad in Arrow. We saw him last year in Legends of Tomorrow as one of the, the Legion of Doom. And even as a member of the Legion of Doom, he was a character that I really started to, to love. Uh, but I loved him more as a villain. This season, while yes, he was a villain for a majority of the season, his character got fleshed, got flushed out so much more to the point where not only did you start to love him, continue to love him as a villain, but you also began to love him as a person, as a whole. Like, who would have thought that by the end of this season, this was a character who has been a villain all the times we've seen him before, but by the end of the season, we were saying, God, I hope he fills a seat on the Wave Rider. Like, how is that you have to imagine the 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 emotion and everything they're putting behind this character to make people like us wish something like that i mean a character that we've seen who's not only added a ton of humor to this season but a villain who's added a lot of heart to the season at the same time and you know who in the end really you become more understanding of him as more of a father than a villain to the point where he sacrifices himself for his daughter. Right. And it, and it makes us love that character even more to the point where we were actually disappointed to see him go. Yeah, it was, it was, it, it kind of felt like a tearjerker moment when, it when really he did. sacrificed himself and he just became the new body for Mollus. And you're like, no, I was like, 
Do something. You have a time, you time travel. <laughs> Save Damien. Like, yeah, it's exactly. Like, and it's a character you're like, man, he's responsible for killing off one one of the most fan favorite characters in Arrow. And it's like, man, could, don't you're like, how how are we switched on that so much? But you're right. In Return of the Mac, like he has this perfect moment when he first wakes up out of, you know, uh, after being dead, when when Nora and the, the cult bring him back and he sits up. And just says, who took my watch? And that was it. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I'm so pumped. And again, we have that great moment there of the return when you hear Return of the Max to start playing where he's just slaughtering like it was a good 30 people in that room. And, and he's doing it while he's drinking like he's he's, he's drinking, dancing and just <laughs> just goofy and silly. And that just embodied everything about the show so beautifully and so yeah. perfectly. And then there was other moments, too, with him. One of my other absolute favorites, and that'll probably start rolling into some of the other things, is like when he's kind of having that crisis of conscience and he's talking to like he, you see him laying on the floor and he's talking to the corpse and it's. It very a la, you know, the 1989 Tim Burton Batman where it's, you know, Joker talking to the fried husk. It's kind of like kill him now. Mm. You know, <laughs> it's it's like, OK, well, uh, yeah. sounds good. Yeah. And it's it's all those pieces. Uh, but then even just there was a great episode later. I believe it was Daddy Darkest uh, where we, we see him and Ray bonding where Ray's kind of tied up and they're having these heart to hearts about ha- him reconnecting with Nora. All these little pieces were really just wonderful and special. And uh, they, they made me adore his character so, so much that it was impossible for me not to have him at the very top of this list. Neil McDonough is, is as you, you and I have said it so many times this season, man, I really wish he'd take a spot on the wave rider. And uh, uh, I, it's just, I'm sad to see him not be a part of the season next season. It may, but you never know. Maybe we'll see him pop his head up back again. But man, uh, truly deserving of uh, our our top spot for best character. Yeah, that, there's no doubt in my mind. Again, when we were going back and we were trying to figure out, you know, who our favorite characters were for this, there was no doubt in my mind that I don't think I saw it any other way for Damien to be at the top of that list. There just really wasn't. And I can't wait to see, you know, some other stuff that he's that he's going to do in the future. I hope he eventually I hope he does pop up at some point in Legends, because with Legends, there there really is nothing's out of out of the ordinary mm-hmm. or nothing's out of the realm of possibility. Right. That's a, that's a better way to put it. So, I mean, we know that, you know, that Nora is going to have a prime role this season. So. Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get a dark on the wave rider one way or another. I just and I'm I'm happy to see what they're gonna do with Nora, but I I wish Damien. I, I wish it could have been Damien. I yeah. really do. <laughs> no, I do too. I, I think the dynamic of him and Sarah together, um, and just putting a villain on the wave rider. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, Captain Cold and Heat Wave are villains, but I, I consider them more rogues. Than than villains at uh, even at that point I, I consider them more rogues. Um, Damian Dark is a villain in the truest sense, and it would have been interesting to see the dynamic of having an actual villain on the Wave Rider with everybody else. Absolutely. So, um, all right. So that takes us into our favorite and least favorite moments and aspects of uh, of the season, and we're going to start with least. And again, this is one of those times, man, that like. I I don't even know when I like choosing my least favorite moment was hard and 
there was really only one that I could I could think about. And I know and I, I'm taking a lead on this one too. I hope you don't mind. Sure, go for it. Go for it. Um and who knows, we might share this one too. But um when it came when it comes to these annuals, you know, for Supergirl, Arrow, Legends, Flash. I'm trying to stay away from choosing like favorite episode. It, it'd be very easy to choose whatever part it played in Crisis on Earth X because that all four of those episodes were fantastic. Yeah. No, I agree that, with you. That's a cop out. Mm-hmm. However, my least favorite moment does come from the episode of Legends that played a part in Crisis on Earth X. And I've, for the past couple of le- annuals, I've, ta- I've taken aspect over moment this time. Uh, for Legends, I chose moments. I chose the least favorite moment and favorite moment. Um, and my least favorite moment, and it's not because I, I think it was terrible. It was my least favorite moment because I didn't want to see it happen was the death of Martin Stein. Um, and only because I, again, it, it was difficult for me to choose this as least favorite moment because usually when we choose least favorite moment, it's something that we hated seeing happen. It was something like we chose it because it was something they didn't do right. The writing was horrible and, and what have you. But this time I chose it just because it was just a heartbreaking moment. And even thinking about it while I was writing it down, I remembered how sad I was. Um, when it first initially happened, you know, the, the, the death of Martin with Jax by his side, Jax going to tell his family, you know, tell his wife and his daughter that he had passed away, uh, seeing all of the heroes from both Flash and Legends having to cope with one of their own being a fallen comrade. It was just something that was very difficult to deal with. I know we have a mutual friend who actually hated it because he thinks that Jax's crying was like the worst thing ever. Um, <laughs> And he got completely turned off by it. But, like, I didn't feel that way at all. This was a moment that really touched me, um, especially considering – and I'm I'm going to go on to the whole, you know, humble brag thing here. Having just met Victor Garber a couple weeks before it aired, I remember telling you, I was like, God, had I known that was coming, for sure, I would have given him a hug. Like, it's like I would have just – I because I, I, I felt so sad – knowing that this amazing man I just had an opportunity to meet and talk to is no longer going to be a part of this show. And for that reason, again, it has nothing to do with the writing. It wasn't something they, they handled horribly. It's just because it was a moment I didn't want to see happen. The death of Martin Stein gets my least favorite moment. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I totally understand that one for me. It was actually another death um, that I felt actually not, a t- horrible moment, but I think it was an unceremonious death, which was the death uh, in the finale, which happened in the very beginning of the episode when we saw Rip die, um, which we were kind of like, wait, really? Is that that that's his end? Because it happened so quickly. Uh, and it was it was within the first couple moments of the episode of him standing down with with Mollus and and taking the time drive and just letting it blow him up and trying to buy the legends just a little bit of time. Um, but we did get this great little vignette that happened during that moment right before where it flashes back to the moments we see him in season one and season two and everything he went for, uh, went against. And it was just him saying he was finally getting to reunite with his family and saying goodbye to Arthur Darville. But even the way it happened, you're like, that that's it? Because it was just it felt very unceremonious for a character that's been such a huge part of the show as big of a part as as 
you know, Martin for the most part, you know, obviously not as present uh, through the course of season three and even a little less so in season two. Uh, but it was somebody that kind of introduced us to this idea of this team and uh, having him kind of just take his final bow the way he did. It was a little disappointing. I was really kind of hoping we would see a little bit more from him. Uh, especially if he was going to go through this big ultimate sacrifice. And I, I wish it would have given him just a little bit more time, but by no means do I think it was a bad moment. And I do still think it was a fitting in for his character. Um, but as even Phil Clemmer said, we didn't see a body. So he still has an opportunity to pop back up sometime in the future or yeah. in the past, wherever it may be. But, uh, it was it was one of those moments where it was just kind of like I'm not quite ready to say goodbye to him. And if we are going to say goodbye to him, I wish they've done it in a little bit more uh, a different little bit of a different way. So no, I, and I can completely understand that too. Rip was a character that certainly I think throughout the three seasons that we've seen, I think his story arc is the most um, changing. And I mean, we saw a character who came, you know, came back in time to put this team together. As you mentioned, he's, he's the guy that, that put him together. And, you know, by the end of this, we, his role by season three, beginning of season three is something that is, is completely different than where he started. We see him as a member of the time bureau and, uh, then he kind of goes rogue from the time bureau and we don't get to see him as much as we would have liked, but you know, he's, you know, one of those characters that, I, yeah, I wish ceremoniously they would have given him a bigger ending. But like you mentioned, nobody. Um, and even if there was a body, we've seen characters come back anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, whether there was a body or not, I, I don't, I, I can foresee us possibly see him coming back again. I think they've already announced that he's not going to be a part of season four. Yeah. Um, but have, that's, yeah. but that's not to say that, you know, season five comes around. You know, Arthur Darvill is, is at least making guest appearances in the cast again. Yeah, absolutely. That would be wonderful to see. And uh, I do agree with you, though, with Martin. It was his death, though, too. It left such a massive hole uh, on the ship and in everything in general. But uh, that leads us to our favorite moments. And I'm sure those holes that were filled, uh, as horrible as that statement sounded, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, a lot of the best moments came from those characters. So. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, I mean, with that said, let's let's talk about some of our favorite moments. I, I have one in particular and I have uh, an honorable mention as well. But uh, I want to hear yours. What is your <laughs> favorite moment from season three? All right. So there's quite a few. But, you know, as much as I would say the finale plays a big part in this, there was actually a moment even earlier on. And it came right after the episode uh, that was part of the tie-in, and it was actually in Bebo, God, the God of War, and had nothing to do with Bebo. And it really came from a wonderful moment from Leo Snart uh, on board the Wave Rider as he's trying <laughs> to work everybody through their grief with a puppet of Martin Stein. <laughs> I forgot about was, that. That sequence was hands down <laughs> one of the funniest moments I've ever seen <laughs> any show because watching everybody respond was really amazing it was just it was such a phenomenal moment because it was so great to see you know Wentworth Miller playing such a absolutely truly different version of this character uh you know somebody that basically never spoke about his emotions or when he did it was very serious to see somebody so just over the top silly and goofy and watching the responses from everybody in that vignette sequence was just wonderfully perfect and really encapsulated everything that this show strives to be and continues to be 
And I really just it was it was a way to help, I think, also the audience get through this moment as well, because they did it with levity. And I think that works the best in the show. Levity is is the best response to uh, a crisis, you know, uh, intended on this. Uh, And it's it, it was truly a great way to handle it. But I loved that they used his character in such a perfect like perfect way just for the course of just a few episodes and it was it was wonderful to see uh, another honorable mention too is actually another full episode and it was the episode where where i was used to be on the fence about if i liked zari as a character she had a couple great moments like the uh the helen hunt episode <laughs> so when she takes uh, you know helen of troy to themyscira at the end um it was the Here I Go Again episode, the our, our episode that was essentially Groundhog's Day. But there was the sequence where she's holding up the flashcards and dropping the oh card my God. one by one <laughs> by one and during the conversations on the Wave Rider. And just the little things she was doing were just so much fun. I, all these little pieces were great. And then, of course, I, I have to mention, last but not least... Uh, the Voltron moment. <laughs> oh yeah, that's <laughs> they right. Kept referring to it at the very end of the finale, when the team comes together with the totems and becomes the purest form, and Bebo wants cuddles. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> which I know some of our listeners are kind of like on the fence about that, and they're they're a little indifferent about that too. I, I mean, you know, I've mentioned it before. We have one listener who's like, "Can somebody like?" explain to me the ridiculousness of this and i mean the explanation is pretty much right there it's ridiculous and that's and that's why we love it it's the ridiculousness behind it it's the Uh, dumbest thing in the world that works so perfectly in such a dumb concept and idea for a show but it always just works it it really just does yeah i'm surprised i I, i'm well i'm surprised but not at the same time in that my honorable mention and my favorite moment you didn't mention either one of them so I'm 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 kind of pleased about that. My, I'll start with my honorable mention. My honorable mention for you know one of my favorite moments was uh, seeing John Noble play himself in in the episode guest starring John Noble, which I remember when we were looking ahead and we saw I saw the title of the episode guest starring John Noble. I was like, oh, maybe they just don't know the name of the episode yet. And no, the episode is called guest starring John Noble because John Noble plays himself as the actor as he's filming Lord of the Rings with Peter Jackson. And it was so good. And especially, <laughs> I love the fact that it was Mick Rory that was responsible for like, oh my god, we can fix this. We just need the voice, the voice of not like of that. And they're like, wait a second, as he's watching. I think it was like the two towers, and yeah. they're going through, and they're like. I know that voice. That sounds just like, and you're like, oh my God, they're really going to do what they're going to do. But the scene, you know, my honorable mention goes to the scene with Ray going to his trailer to get him to read the dialogue. And, you know, and John Noble completely portraying himself being like, well, tell Peter I did not approve to these, like, these changes in the dialogue and, and such. It was such a lighthearted moment that I absolutely loved. But my favorite moment of season two, season three, uh, has to deal with Rip, Wally, and a little bit of karaoke. Oh God, that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the episode of oh God, um, it was uh episode twelve, which was the curse, uh, the of, curse the of the Earth totem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it it the, pretty much one of the opening scenes of the episode is, uh, you know, we see Rip and Wally singing careless whisper and i remember when we recorded that episode and i i put in i I put all that i put like a line of dialogue or a conversation in the beginning 
that was what I used for that episode was I used those two singing Careless Whisper. Mm-hmm. So, and again, it just added a moment of levity and humor and just, you know, it, it didn't even, it had nothing to do with the story. It was just something that they threw in there just for, you know, to loosen up the audience again and add a little bit of humor. And that's one of my absolute favorite things about this show is that they do that time and time again in every episode. And I, I just love it. Yeah, no, that was easily way up there for me, too. I mean, there's just so many from this season alone um, that we can just go on and on and on about the best of the best of the best. Yeah. And, and again, like I said, you know, Wally's just inclusion in, in this season, like for the last couple episodes, was really fun. John Constantine and the moment of him playing D&D with Gary. <laughs> All these little pieces were so wonderfully done and just perfect and fit exactly the way that they needed to and then again there are finale as well there were so many moments and how great it was to see you know jonah hex joining into the fight we we saw helen of troy come in as an amazon warrior at this point in time and being dropped off at themiscara at the end oh uh, well that was going back into the helen hunt episode as we mentioned before i was talking yeah. about more in the in the finale of, oh of, yeah, you know, yeah, we, yeah we see her joining in the fight uh, you know, we we see an older version of of Jax as of now as a father come back. All these little pieces coming together, and it was this perfect kind of like, "Hey guys, thank you for a fun season. I hope you enjoy these characters as much as we do." And it was just this perfect little nod, and them just having fun, and just it, it was playing in a toy box of the characters that they created. And man, that's that's what the season was from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but that brings us to episodes, uh, least favorite and favorite episode. And again, you know, starting with least favorite episode, this was something that was very difficult for me to choose. And at the, in the end, I chose, I chose an episode and it's for the really the, the lowest of reasons. I, I, I really can find no fault in the episode that I chose with the exception of one thing. And that is that. Um, I chose the premiere. I chose episode one of season three, Arubicon. And the only reason I did that was because every episode got better as the season went on. So I, that was really the only thing I could, the only reason I could choose and can come up with to choose that episode as my least favorite. Mm-hmm. I, I really have nothing else to say about these favorite episodes. <laughs> I, I really don't. I went and I looked at the, the I, I did my research, you know, when we were doing our prep, I went through all the episodes of this season. I read the descriptions of all of them and I was like, yeah, I remember that one and this happens and this happens. Oh yeah, there was this one and that happens and this one that. And I really just couldn't find anything else. I mean, the only other thing I can say was that, you know, in the season finale of season two, we got that whole moment of them crashing and seeing the dinosaurs and everything else. And, um, you know, we, we started making our predictions on where they could go with it because they could literally go anywhere with it. And everything that we saw kind of set up at the end of season two was wrapped up and cleaned up within the first two minutes of the episode. Um, for the most part, when we see the time bureau show up and start, you know, putting things back together. Um, but other than that, again, it's just because the season got progressively better and better and better from that, from the start. So that's really the only reason I could choose that episode as my least favorite. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. I think for me, like I, I really just dug and dug and dug through the episodes to see if there was something. The best I could come up with was episode three, which was the introduction of Zari. Um, 
I was a little concerned if I liked her character at all and how she was going to fit into the Wave Rider. Uh, and that episode, I thought maybe it just may, might have been the weakest. You know, we we go to 2042. Uh, we're showing that Argus is basically just hunting down metahumans. And I'm like, it felt like there's such a short amount of time to figure out why we're at where we're at in just a small span of 20 years where we're in this heyday of heroes. And we got these tiny pieces of it that they didn't really expand upon. Um, you know, Zari kind of is a, a tweak of the classic character Isis. And I wasn't sure the way that they were treating her as this kind of hacktivist worked. Um, but as the season progressed and we got time to meet her and understand her a lot better. And especially I think in, in Hel- uh, episode number six, Helen Hunt, um, we really got an idea who she was. But I thought episode three was a little bit shaky uh, because, again, I wasn't vibing with the idea of Kawasa yet. Zari was a character I wasn't sure if I really enjoyed. Um, you know, it, it was it was a little kind of off. I wasn't quite sure where my thought process was, and it made me a little concerned at that point because Rubicon was a fun episode. Freak Show, we, you know, with the second episode, in, we had Billy Zane as P.T. Barnum, which we're like, this is legends. I'm like, you know, this is great. And then we got into this, and I'm like, is this our big bad? And I was a little on edge because that was also based on us reading news. And I'm like, hey, this is our our, our villain for the season. I'm like, I, I don't even know who this person is in DC lore, anything. Are they just doing something new? I'm like, and as they're going through, I'm like, okay, is this somebody that kind of turns to water and is just hydrokinetic? And I'm like, eh, okay, how is this a big threat to the legends? But as we, we peeled back the layers, you know, we're like, wow, this is going to be something special. So, again, it was it was the only moment that I was, had a little slight concern about the show, but it was immediately alleviated by episode four and five. So, yeah, um, so it was it was an episode that was not bad. I think I even probably gave that maybe a six or a seven probably at the time. But by no means is that saying this was a horrible episode. So, again, it's one of those things that just it was we're nitpicking just to be able to find one that we're listing as our as our least favorite. Yeah. So, uh, but that brings us to our favorites and I'm very curious to see where we're going to go with these because again, I don't know yours and you don't know mine. So, um, I'll I'll let you take the lead on this one, but I want you to start with your honorable mention. Okay. Uh, because I'm going to do the same. Okay. Honorable mention for me. Uh, this was a hard one. This was really, really very tricky. And my honorable mention, uh, I actually skipped over one because I think there's one that you may have in your either honorable or favorite. Okay. So I will say for me, my honorable mention is episode number five, Return of the Mac. Um, again, it was a great introduction to seeing Courtney Ford uh, playing uh, Madame Eleanor in this episode, quote unquote. But we do later find out is Nora Dark. Uh, and we see, again, uh, Damien Dark return in one of the funniest and best moments of the season, hands yep. down. Uh, <laughs> but we also have this whole angle set up like there's a vampire attack uh, or a Jack the Ripper, you know, is out there. And it's, <laughs> it, it's this perfect Victorian London setting. It was so much fun. It was us actually seeing Rip for the first time, really more so in full uh, when we find out he's gone rogue in the season. We see him really briefly beforehand, but this was this big kind of full on return to find out what he's doing. It sets up the idea of Mollus. This is where the season really says this is what we're doing. And the way that they did it was really just wonderful. But there was so much humor. There's so much to enjoy out of this. So easily my honorable mention. But my top episode, hands down again, I, I can't stress it enough, was episode 18, The Good, The Bad, and The Cuddly. Uh, the finale of this season was such a perfect end cap to such a wonderful, wonderful season. Um, again, 
even stating beforehand the fact that Rip, Rip sacrifices himself in a way that I thought was okay. Well, eh. but that's splitting hairs. It was no by by no means a bad thing. Uh, but it was so much fun watching all of these random villains like we we see Caesar and the Vikings and the pirates all show up in an old in this tiny little wild west town where you know we know time doesn't impact it. Uh, where Jonah Hex is at, it's right outside of all these borders and boundaries. So then returning to that setting where we've seen them in the past and reunite with all these characters that they've changed and impacted, seeing this alternate version of Kuasa, who we now find out is also Vixen and is sharing, you know, that totem with uh, Amari in the present day. Uh, so it doesn't create too much of a headache for all of the you know, continuity in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, all these pieces work together in such a fun way. We see Ray kind of on the outskirts of things with uh, working with Nora and having kind of a crisis of conscience on what the right thing to do is. And he, he connected so much with Nora, you know, Nora Dark, you know, played by his actual real life wife, which was so much fun. But then we see these dumb, stupid moments of them trying to create that spirit with the totems. And we get this like weird amorphous corpse thing that explodes on them. Uh, that is this, this abomination. But again, seeing them later play with that idea and have that Ghostbusters moment where they create a giant Bebo in one of the dumbest, stupidest, and most amusing moments I have ever seen on television. (laughs) Uh, But then ending in the way that they did, though, too, with as they're going through this moment, the episode, there's a moment in this episode that encapsulates the reason why I love the show so much. And it's the moment that we see Gary going through and talking about the characters one by one in the D&D idea. And we go through them bit by bit, and it just worked so perfectly. And then we see him playing D&D with Constantine. Uh, all these little pieces <laughs> and how they work together was so great. And then how it ends with them finally on vacation in Aruba with John dropping the dragon's head. Uh, and it's kind of like, you guys screwed up horribly. <laughs> so, But it was it was that saving the universe the way uh, in the time stream, the way that the legends can while also screwing up in the same way that the legends can. And it was perfect. Yeah. And it's very interesting too, because out of both episodes that you chose, neither one of them was my honorable mention or my favorite. I'm curious though, because you said there was one you kind of, you kind of put aside because you thought maybe I was going to choose it. Uh, What episode was it you thought I would choose? Well, I think it might be your honorable mention, but I'm not sure, which is episode number four, Phone Home. That is Uh, indeed my honorable mention. I had a feeling. I'll let you take it from here. Uh, yeah, it's just it's I, it's an episode that I absolutely love. One because I, I I mentioned earlier on that I'm I'm still a big fan of Ray. I love any time we get to, to to do the stories with Ray. But I'm just an '80s kid, man. And so going, you know, and seeing him go back to the '80s, this was a real great play on ET. Uh, you know, with seeing um, the Dominator and seeing the Baby Dominator at the same time. So it was a nice little. Uh, a nice little kickback to the the crossover of season of season two, uh, of well at least season two for Legends, but last year's crossover. So, kind of going back to that a little bit, but also going to 1988, and you know them just having a lot of fun with this episode at the same time. I mean, seeing the FBI agents singing "Good Morning" uh, was just a lot of fun. And it's just it's one of those episodes that really stands out for me, just because I I absolutely adore. 80s nostalgia and 80s memorabilia so to be able to have an episode where we go back to that it, it just really sticks out and you got mind. a delorean <laughs> so we did that's right we did get a delorean in that as well uh however 
my favorite episode of the season, you've already mentioned. Um, my favorite episode is episode 11, Here I Go Again. And for a good reason in that this was an episode that we really start, I really came around on the character of Zari. Uh, she was still kind of, to me, not completely flushed out. We got introduced to her in episode three, but, um, this was an episode that really, in in a, a matter of 42 minutes, really turned me around and made me absolutely love her character. And they did it in such a fun way. As you mentioned, this was kind of like Groundhog Day in time. But there were so many great moments, not only just like the cue, the cue card moment was absolutely fantastic with, with Ray and Rory doing their laundry and her just standing behind and even like just writing groan on one of the cards because that's what Mick does. And, uh-huh. um, you know, seeing that, but not only that, but there were just so many other great moments from this episode. Like by the end, when, you know, she knocks on Mick's door and says, I know you're writing a novel. I've read it. It's good. This is what I want to see. But even though know, this is what readers want. And, but even that moment at the very end, which I thought was just such a nice, beautiful wrap up to the entire episode is we get that montage of Mick type one finger typing out the story, uh, you know, one finger on each hand typing out the story. Uh, we see Sarah kind of like loosen up and she, she, you know, she's talking to Ava on the video screen. We see, uh, um, Nate and Amaya embracing their relationship publicly because this is something that, you know, Zari had told them about. But just that moment of Zari playing the strat of the, um, the violin that she had learned throughout all these time loops that she was in was just such a beautiful way to wrap up what I thought was just a phenomenal episode. It really, uh, really was. Absolutely. So, I mean, for for that reason, like, uh, when I was going through and I was looking at all the episodes, I saw st- elements of each episode that I liked. But when I got to that one and I just remembered everything that was a part of it, from the fun montage of her just, you know, of her and Nate just sucking on cans of whipped cream, throwing snowballs at Mick, but just her coming to understand her her purpose with that group and then also coming to head coming, you know, coming button head butting heads with Sarah and it kind of improving her relationship with them. Um, you know, everything saving Ray every time he tripped on the roller skates and such. I, I just I couldn't go past that episode. I just kept going back to this episode and was like, yeah, th- this one is my favorite. Yeah, that was a really wonderful, beautiful moment. Uh, well, moments through that entirety of the episode. And that was really high up there for me, too. I mean, there were so many. There's one episode we haven't even talked about that I think we still at least need to nod to because it was one of – it was an amazing episode, which was uh, – and it hasn't come up in conversation at all, which was Necromancing the Stone, episode 15, where we see Sarah taken over by, uh, you know, the uh, the final stone we see in Amazing Grace. It was, yeah. the, the you know, the death totem. Um, which was such a great, wonderful episode too, where we see all of these twisted, you know, versions of of these characters appearing constantly on the ship. We see Sarah in the classic Black Canary uniform again in that episode, and uh, you know, Constantine, uh, yeah, and Ava, you know, trying to help release her from Mollus's control. All these little pieces, but there was so much about the season. But you're right. Uh, here I go again. You know, uh, you know the 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 1988 episode. Uh, early on phone home, you know, return to the Mac. I mean, 
we haven't even talked about some of these other amazing episodes in full. And it's because almost every episode had something truly, truly wonderful and enjoyable. Like even the ones that felt like throwaways, like amazing grace where we had the Elvis episode was really touching episode. Uh, it was, it was really wonderfully done. Uh, you know, Ava Sharp is a character we haven't brought up barely at all was a wonderful, wonderful character. Jess McKillen added so much to the show and her relationship with Sarah was so truly just wonderful to watch and how they handled everything. Um, but you know, like we, we bring up Nora Dark a little bit. Courtney Ford was such a beautiful part of the season as well. Uh, and, and, and it was these, so it was, oh, yeah. it was so great just to see like her and Brandon Ralph finally like acting off of each other. Because I mean, again, we've mentioned it before, but they're real life husband and wife. So it's yeah. you know, it's so great to see that. And I'm looking forward to see how they play on that going into season four. Yeah, uh, I, I really am too. But man, like what you know, this the episodes of the season they were again. As you mentioned it early on, and I've mentioned it as well, picking a favorite this season and this year was one of the hardest we've ever had to do for an annual we've ever done. Um, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, there's like four or five episodes that I'm like, man, there's 18 episodes in the season. And I would maybe only say three or four might not be in my list or runner up like roles for best episode of the year. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's crazy to say that about a show. But, man, uh, it was uh, it was just phenomenal. It was well, really not, phenomenal. Well, not only that, but, you know, I'm looking at, uh, as I do every do every week when we, we talk about these shows as they air, I, I look at the rankings of the shows and such. And for a show that is so hit or miss with the fans, um, you know, you, we have fans who watch Arrow religiously and and, Leg- uh, and Flash religiously and Supergirl religiously, but it's kind of hit or miss with Legends. It, it, you either love it or you don't. It, it, it's either your thing or it's not. I'm looking at the ratings of these episodes. Like when we look at like Arrow and Flash, like the episodes average anywhere from like a seven to like maybe like an eight. When I'm, and then when there's really phenomenal episodes, they'll bump up to like an 8.5 or whatever. I'm looking through at every single episode of Legends of Tomorrow. And with the exception of two, there is nothing below an eight. Most of them average between 8.2. And I see some as high as like 9.1. Like that's phenomenal for a show. Mm-hmm. And I, I like, I look at that. I look at our love for the show. I look at the ratings that these shows get. And I think to myself, I'm like, eh, how could people really just not embrace this show? But again, it's, it's one of those things that we say constantly when it comes to movies and TV shows, watch the shows, form your own opinion. If you watch them and you don't like them, Hey, you know, it's it's your thing. But I know as far as you and I go, it, Legends was very easily our favorite of the five shows this this year. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, rate our villains and rate our season. Give some predictions and we'll go on with the news. Yeah. Um, and we'll start with the ratings of the of the villain uh, or villains, however you want to look at it. And again, one to ten, one through three being sidekick. Five or four through seven being hero and eight through ten being legend. Uh, I'm going to kick this one off, and uh, again, considering what we we said at the top of the episode with Malus being more of an idea and be comparing to the nothing of the never ending story, uh, which I just recently watched, by the way. Um, I'm going to give the I'm going to give Malus and of course you know. Uh, we'll we'll include Amari and or not Amari, um, Kuwasa and even Grodd. And Damien into this as well. Because, and Nora, and, yeah. And Nora, <laughs> uh, because they're all kind of like henchmen of, of Malice. But uh, I'm going Legend. I'm, I'm giving him an eight. Mm-hmm. 
Um, um, I'm going to go a little bit higher, stay, staying in the legend territory. I'm going to go an 8.5, um, maybe an 8.75. I'm getting kind of close to a 9 because Damien and Nora were really our big bads through the majority of this because Nora was the embodiment of Mollus for most of the season. It was only one episode where she was not. And she was truly terrifying and was just putting people down left and right with barely batting an eye. And you actually were terrified because you even saw moments where Damien was terrified of her. And that truly made you kind of been like, wow, she's uh, not somebody to screw with. And the way we even saw kind of Mollusa impact and change uh the kind of the spirit world you know is kind of like as we put it before it's the nothing it was the nothing taking it over and destroying the spirit realm where all these totems came from um all these pieces they worked so perfectly together like kawasa we saw flip we saw nora and damien flip by the end when they realized what was to come uh in all of these different points you know we saw sacrifices left and right from the the villains because they realized what they were about to unleash. Yeah. When you have that many villains realize that they're screwed, you truly believe that even though we're never seeing a full embodiment of this character until the bitter end, and while, yes, the CG for Mollus is the time kind of demon, looked a little goofy at times and silly, but so did a giant Bebo. Let's be honest, it doesn't detract, I think, from what we had to work with here. Um, it was the lead-up to the finale and the finale still paid off and what we saw and how it in- incorporated things, whether it was again with the death tone when how it, it took control of, you know, it was the totems themselves were kind of villains throughout the season and how they impacted things. You saw that in the curse of the earth totem where, you know, it was, it, it essentially killed Blackbeard's you know, bride, it, it, you know, all these little pieces that, it, that played a massive part in. So, it was interesting to watch them try to control these things and how it never worked out too well for the legends or the villains trying to use them. And it was just this lust for power. It was like I said, we joked a little while way back when the season was still running. This was the infinity wars before infinity wars happened in the big screen. We had a whole bunch of gems and jewels out there that people were vying for power and control. And when they came together, things got real. Uh, It was really fun and interesting to watch. But they played as much of a part as as Mollus and Kawasa, Damien and Nora and Grodd. So it was really just truly worked incredibly well with a great payoff. So, um, yeah, I think I'm going to go 8.75. Okay. Um, all right. So that only leaves us then with rating the season. We're going to do it with the same way, you know, 1 through 10, sidekick hero or legend. Uh, but I'll let you start off with this one. I'm going to see where your where your rating lies for season three as a whole. Uh, I don't know or don't remember in the past the highest score I've ever given out for a season. Uh, I always usually say there's room for improvement. I think this might be my highest as well. Uh, I am going to give this a perfect 10. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow is getting a legend and a perfect score for me. I really, in all honesty, don't feel like there's anything they could have done tremendously better i mean every single thing that even has a 10 that i've given a 10 to in the past whether it's been a board game video game movie album anything like that nothing is ever perfect but it's how you perceive it and how good that can be and this is going to be that not junk food but this is going to be my feel good i i might have a bad day or i just i maybe just really need to feel a positive boost some way shape and form and this season could very well be that season for me in the future that when I just want to have fun, need some characters that are 
going to make me smile and enjoy their story and why everything's being told the way it's being told. Legends of Tomorrow season three is probably going to be that for me for a very long time. Wow. All right. That's, that's high praise. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Your, your wife would hate me for doing that impression. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I, this is probably easily the highest rating I've ever, I've ever given anything. It's not a perfect 10, but it's pretty damn close. Uh, I gave this season a 9.5. It's, uh, I, I, it's very tough for me to give anything a perfect score. I've done it in the past. I know I have before, but it's, it, it's difficult for me to do. I think the only thing I would have liked that would have given this a perfect score is more John Constantine, but I really did enjoy what we got of Constantine. We only got him for three episodes this season. I, I, and I feel like next season, if it continues on this trend with the addition of Constantine is going to, might give the possibility of a perfect 10. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, I'm, I'm going 9.5 because as you mentioned, there really wasn't, there really wasn't anything I can say that needs improvement. Yeah. You know what? It's a, the reason I also went that route out of all the Arrowverse shows we've ever watched. Um, it's amazing when sometimes when there's something that happens and you just kind of like lose it and geek out and you're like, Oh my God, did they just do that? And that happened a couple times. Yeah. The, the Legends of Tomorrow season three, the first when we saw that mascara show up for the very first time. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, uh, and exactly. I like, like flashing, turning to my wife and I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't believe they're doing this and all these little things that they've done. Um, and this show does it better than almost any of them. I mean, like we've seen those moments in arrow and flash and, and all and uh, that you're just kind of like your jaws on the floor where you get those couple moments. But uh, even when it's a dumb, silly, stupid moment, like, you know, if I didn't know John Constantine was coming into the show, I would have done that the moment that he was sitting on the wave rider after, you know, the death of Martin Stein in the, the in the Bebo God of War episode when they get back and you're like and they're dropping jacks off and you're like, oh, my God, Constantine, like all these little things. I can't imagine if we didn't track the news, how many more of those moments I will definitely state I probably would have had. Um, and again, the the even the moments where I, I can't believe they just did that, like the John Noble moment, the the giant Bebo, you know, all these things like, you know, the way that they even portrayed Blackbeard is kind of this just this coward almost that was like a wash up pirate. All these little yeah. things that they did was so different. It never did exactly what you expected it to um, where you could say, here's the clear cut way that this is going to go. And it never went that direction. And I really just thought it was inspiring to watch a show that it, every time it took a turn and you thought it was going one way, it, there, there was a twist in the road and it went completely another, another direction. And you're like, okay, I'm in. Like I was always constantly just like, I'm in, I can't wait for the next week. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, at this point, this is ordinarily where we would go into predictions for next season for season four. But, uh, you know, at, with a high of a rating as we gave season three and as much as we loved season three, I'm pretty much to the point where, you know what? The writers have proven they know what they're doing with the show. They know what they're doing with these ca- – they know what they're doing when it comes to these characters. Uh, and if they continue on this trend, I really don't care to make any predictions. I'm going to be going along with it no matter what. Well, how about this? Here, Here's a prediction thing that we can do. We do know we're getting mythological creatures next year. Is there a specific mythological creatures you want to see in season four? You already know the answer to that question. You just wanted to hear me say it. I do. <laughs> of course. I want to see a phoenix. 
Yeah, I know. I want to see in what some way, shape, or form, I want to see a Phoenix. Uh, just because I've had a huge obsession with them for almost as, as long as I can remember. And, uh, I mean, I think we've, we've already seen from the previews, we're getting a unicorn. So if we can get a unicorn, I want a damn Phoenix. <laughs> uh, I would like to see like a classic Chimera. Uh, maybe, uh, I would love to maybe even see them play with something like, you know, uh, the Loch Ness monster or Bigfoot. I think that would be a ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, maybe seeing the legends have to, chase down and stop a pack of chupacabras you know <laughs> because they did say all these mythological things that are going to come into play um they said they'll not be and none of them will quite be what we expect of any of them uh so i would not be surprised if we see a very murderous unicorn uh kind of like supernatural a couple like early early on in, yeah. the, in the seasons and things like that so I, i'm looking forward to seeing them play with the concept of all these things and tweak things just enough I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Charlie, uh, you know, the the alternate version of Amaya and how she's going to factor in, how John's going to factor in and how these characters stories are going to continue to play out. One of your favorite actors is going to be part of the show. Uh, yes, he is. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> Tom Wilson, Tom Wilson, a, you know, a.k.a. Biff Tannen, uh, Buford Tannen, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it's it, it's going to be so much fun to see how they play play roles into this season and don't for, don't forget griff and don't yeah griff yeah <laughs> griff tannen uh but yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they're gonna do um and i'm just excited to to see these characters return to the screen and uh actually really honestly i'm really looking forward to seeing now with rip's absence uh sarah taking the next steps as captain of the wave rider and and watching her story and the rest of the crew and how they continue to work with each other uh, I, i'm really excited to see all of that play out I think she's kind of already done that. I think she's already kind of proven herself as a captain, but even still, like even in the third season, she, she proved herself to be a captain, but I think even in her mind, she was still only the temporary captain until Rip came back and Rip took over. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that changes in dynamic now with Rick's death, with Rip's apparent death, uh, knowing that there's nobody to take control anymore rips not coming back to, to relieve her of this duty she now has to step up and she has no choice but to be the captain yeah so it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out thinking of another mythological creature though i would like to see uh we already know there's a dragon because we've seen it beheaded uh we we know there's a unicorn uh, i'd be interested to see a hydra oh yeah uh, there's and see how that plays out yeah there's so much that they can do with this season coming and i i'm, just, I'm excited to see what they're gonna do i really yeah. am i really am yeah me as well. Um, so with all of that being said, that's going to pretty much wrap up what we, uh, our thoughts on season three of Legends of Tomorrow. Of course, we want to hear what you guys think, what you guys thought of the season as well. So you can do that by leaving us comments on the Facebook page, uh, private messaging us, sending us emails and such, and we'll get all that information to you at the end of the podcast, how you can do that. But for now, uh, let's take it over to the news because I know there is some news that has uh, come out this week. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of light things, nothing really super massive, with the exception of one that you all definitely agreed upon. Because, uh, man, yeah, boy, uh, about, <laughs> I think it was like 60 or 70 of you uh, either liked uh, liked it. There was tons of you that shared it out there and uh, over 2000 of you that looked at that article. So uh, that was pretty kind of surprising. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> but Supergirl, uh, let's talk a little bit there. Uh, Superman may be returning in season four. Uh, Tyler Hoechlin did recently come out and state that. uh there is a specific uh, character 
that everybody is holding near and dear. And he did say to IGN last year, uh, hoping, 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 of course. I have such a great time there. You know, if that opportunity comes up, I would absolutely love to do so. And when people saw what episode three of this season four would be, simply titled The Man of Steel, a lot of people were wondering if uh, that is going to be the next return of this character. So fingers crossed. Uh, well, hopefully in a couple of weeks, I'll have the opportunity to ask the man himself. Yeah. So as I, I'll be uh, at Heroes and Villains, New York, New Jersey, and so will Tyler. Uh, well, one of the other big things that happened, and this is the big one that everybody freaked out about, but Data, a.k.a. Brent Spiner of Star Trek The Next Generation, has indeed signed on to play a recurring character in season four of Supergirl. We do know he's going to be playing Vice President Baker, working out uh, opposite of Linda Carter's. So pretty awesome. So uh, he's very adept and politically minded and steps up in a very, very big way when his country needs him most. So I'm wondering if this is going to be the end of Linda Carter's character in this season and uh, he'll become our new president. And it makes you wonder which direction he's going to go, uh, especially with Sam Whitmere as Agent Liberty. I'm wondering if Brent Spiner is going to be one of our our catalysts and potential big bads of this season. So uh, be very curious to see how that plays out. But really excited to see Brent joining the cast. He's a wonderfully and amazing actor. Yes. So looking forward to seeing how that continues. And, on. and I and I mentioned I mentioned this to you during the prep too. If there's one person who could outshine Brett Spiner, it's Patrick Stewart. But even and now, in, and yeah, <laughs> even in Patrick Stewart's uh, little video though that got released from uh, Star Trek Con, it was uh, when they announced originally the old cast. I don't know if you heard this or saw this that when. Uh, uh, John, uh, you know, he was uh, Patrick Stewart was cast as Jean Luc Picard. There was an article in the paper saying unknown, uh, yep. you know, unknown British uh, Shakespearean actor to portray the captain. <laughs> yes. And the first day on set, he walked to his trailer, and it said uh, on the door, and apparently this was done by Brent Spiner. It says warning, uh, it was as an unknown, uh, you know, British Shakespearean actor inside, uh, which yep. was just <laughs> kind of fantastic. But I was I was more talking the fact that Patrick Stewart just announced that he's coming he's returning to the oh, role yes, of John Luke Picard. Yes. Uh, of course, that's going to outshine Brett Spiner signing on for Supergirl. But you know, I, we still love the fact that he signed on. And yeah, well, I think just in general, the cast of Next Generation is or ca- cast members that are out there in the world of pop culture that are near and dear to our hearts. So. Absolutely. All right, moving over to the Flash. A couple small things going on over here. Uh, we do know Susan Walters confirms she is going to be returning as Caitlin's mother in season five. In addition to that, as well, we know we are also uh, underway for casting for Caitlin's father for the first time. So uh, nothing new to report yet on there. There's no potential uh, uh, casting announcements quite yet. But uh, like I said, we Jonathan Frakes, maybe that would be kind of amazing. <laughs> so, uh, but we do know, again, Susan Walters returning to the role of Dr. Uh, Carol Tannhauser. So uh, looking forward to seeing her return to her role in Mercury Labs. So uh, jumping over again a little bit uh, to some stuff going on with Grant Gustin, a couple things he had to say over uh, post-Cineo Comic-Con. Uh, some uh, reporters that spoke with him, he did say he feels that the uh, season five premiere is one of his absolute favorites and probably as big as... As if not bigger than uh, the pilot to The Flash, the original. Uh, he said this is easily the best pilot they've done yet. He said we have an action sequence that's got something straight out of the comics. And he just lost his mind when uh, that came up. And you know, this feels like this is a story I read last week. But uh, something adjacent to that, uh, <laughs> he did tease that we might indeed see a very new suit in season five. Uh, he did say that um, when asked if uh, there was going to be a new suit, 
there was a little bit of hesitation. He said, well, he's like, this suit I did wear for the first four years was easy enough to get in, uh, get into. It was just jacket and pants and that were leather. Uh, and then kind of trailed off uh, a little bit uh, when they were going and they pressed him on. And uh, he didn't say he would not say anything more. So it sounds like a new suit probably is indeed coming. So, yeah, I, th- I think as far as like the premiere of, of this season, I think he's come out and said that there was always one thing in the comics he would love to have seen, but they didn't think he didn't think they would ever be able to do it. And that's what they're actually doing in this premiere. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, moving on to the the last thing for the TV universe, Uh, it sounds like Batwoman, the TV series could be starting filming as soon as this coming spring. So early 2019, Uh, like I said, so that'll probably be for our pilot episode to see if uh, CW does choose indeed to get uh, pick that show up. So um, I would be very shocked if that does not get picked up. Um, oh, and, yeah. And but at the same time, too, if it does, I'm very curious and wondering uh, the fate of every other show in the Arrowverse. So it's the question of are they going to truly move forward with five Arrowverse shows with a Black, Lights and, uh, Black Lightning show being adjacent to all of this. So um, I would not be surprised if we maybe see uh, – see one of those shows maybe close its doors so i have a feeling i know which show it might be if that happens but uh yeah i have uh i have two shows i would i would put uh potentially on the bubble because of this uh one of them is a show i don't want to go away which would be legends of tomorrow the second show uh would be arrow so yeah uh all right jumping over to the animated realm for just a moment uh we did get a voice acting announcement good special thanks to our friend shad welsh who has actually been dropping some stuff over to us as news has been breaking so i'm wondering if we maybe need to add him as a a page admin to help us with uh staying on top of the news so it might be time uh (laughs) because it's uh it's some nights it's coming fast and furious so uh but we did find out that gotham actor cameron monaghan uh, who we know has played both Jerome and uh, I can't remember the other other character that he plays now, uh, which is Jerome's brother. Uh, is I can't remember either. <laughs> uh, is joining uh, the Reign of the Superman um, animated film, and he will be playing Connor Kent, aka Superboy. So very excited to see him portray the character. Uh, I love him to death in uh, Gotham and Shameless. So I'm uh, very very much looking forward to that. Um, but also a couple other small stories that did crop up as well. We did find out that there was uh, the CW Seed animated series for Constantine, which was released in several parts, which was a small story called City of Demons that kind of ended just abruptly, is getting a feature length release. And they said the very first 30 minutes will indeed that was aired on CW Seed will be included uh, and then will be filled uh, with an additional almost full hour of content continuing that Hellblazer story. Um, so we'll be checking that out very very soon uh that is coming out a lot earlier than anticipated it'll be coming out on blu-ray and digital uh day and date uh october 9th uh so we'll be seeing that very very soon and uh we did hear this is going to be a uh a more extreme uh sounds like more almost r-rated uh feature film so i'm fine with that uh so we will be seeing that joining us very soon but this surprising animated story that came out out of nowhere this week uh, came from uh, Jared Stern, who has been hired by Warner Brothers to write and direct Super Pets, an animated movie about the furry friends of the DC comic book characters. Uh, if you have heard Jared Stern's name 
or are not familiar with it, uh, you definitely know his work, as he also was one of the writers of the Lego Batman movie, uh, also the Lego Ninjago movie as well, and has a large filmography that also includes uh, upcoming films Smallfoot, Dr. Ken, and Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, he made his directorial debut uh, with the movie called Happy Anniversary, and they did say, you know, the Super Fet- uh, Pets will have a unique stor- uh, sort of tenure in the DC Comics universe, first debuting in somewhat official ensemble in 1962, uh, essentially featuring all animal versions of the league, including characters like Crypto, the Super Dog, Streaky, the Super Cat, Bat Cow, Felix, the Plastic Bird, and Aquaman, Seahorse, Storm. Uh, we don't know which characters could indeed appear in this. We did see a animated series in the past that had that was Crypto that we did see Ace the Bat Hound make appearances in as well. So I'm very curious to see the characters that are going to appear in this uh, this film. But no, no word yet if this is going to be a big screen film or if this is going to uh, just be a direct to DVD. But all signs are pointing to this being a big screen feature film. So uh, jumping over to the movie universe real quick, uh, we did have a couple new reports. Uh, sounds like uh, and these are just quick, small things. No need to fully break them down. But sounds like the reports are right now are showing that Black Adam will reportedly start begin uh, begin filming uh, uh, in uh, next fall. So fall of 2019, uh, after he wraps up his time with uh, the Rock, uh, finishes his time with the Jungle Cruise. And uh, Hobbs and Shaw and Jumanji 2 and ultimately Red Notice. So after the filming of those, that'll be his next project. So it is officially slated at this time. Um, They're talking potentially September, October uh, of next fall. So it'll be uh, start filming in about a year from now. Uh, Next up, David Ayer, uh, the director of Suicide Squad, met up with a specific uh, writer in DC lore that many of us are very near and dear to who is one of the creators of Batman the Animated Series, but also the writer of Gotham City Sirens. Uh, He wrote that book, which was Paul Dini, who wrote that book from 2009 to 2011. And uh, just a quick shot that was up on his Twitter. It said, had a very, very nice visit with Paul Dini. So it sounds like there is discussions fully happening now as far as the continuation for uh, that film that has been long rumored featuring Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, and Catwoman. So... Uh, jumping over to some Birds of Prey news, we did find a couple uh, couple actresses that are being looked at for the roles of both uh, Black Canary and Huntress, respectively. Those actresses being, sorry, I'm running out, like my mouth is getting dry. No, it's it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's understandable. Uh, so the uh, the actresses that are being looked at currently right now for Black Canary are Jodie Comer and Vanessa Kirby. And then as far as Huntress, they're looking at Alexandria Daddario. Uh, now, Comer is a British actress best known for her role as uh, Vanielle uh, in Killing Eve. She also played Chloe Gemmel on the comedy drama series My Big Fat Diary. Uh, meanwhile, Vanessa Kirby, uh, meanwhile, portrayed uh, pr- uh, Princess Margaret in the Netflix series The Crown and uh, most uh, recently played the White Widow in Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, in addition to two nails. Oh, I know who she is then. That's good casting. Uh, then uh, Alexandra Daddario uh, is uh, also the most probably most prolific of the three right now and she has starred in the likes of texas chainsaw 3d baywatch and true detective so she's the one they're looking at for huntress so that's that's i I like that casting as well yeah so uh so those are those three actresses definitely up for between those two roles here so i'm sure we'll be hearing something very very soon uh with them fully in depth into this project um Sad news this week. It sounds like there's a high chance that uh, those long rumors of uh, Henry Cavill making an appearance as Superman in Shazam may not be so true. Uh, And this did indeed 
came from a superhero news podcast uh, where uh, Mark Hughes of Forbes magazine uh, did state this when he was on there and said, uh, uh, Superman, I can tell you as of three to four weeks ago, last time I checked, there is no movement on Superman's involvement in that film. It's not currently sitting on the table as a project that they're looking into. Oh, no, this is as is a film. But uh, he said, you know, they're they're not looking at moving forward and there's no expectations of imminent uh, imminent movement on a Superman project yet. Uh, he said, you know, as far as uh, him making the appearance in Shazam, he's like, I know uh, for now it didn't work out getting Superman into Shazam. Apparently, maybe that will change and they'll be able to film something. There's still a lot of time before it comes out. But as of right now, there is zero Superman in Shazam. There is no movement movement on the Superman solo movie. And again, this cameo appearance. So again, not done deal. But as of right now, those rumors that he was indeed on set are apparently not true. Uh, it sounds like maybe it was just a visit, but not anything to do with him fully in costume. So, all uh, right. So jumping over to the Flash movie, we did find out a little something. Uh, according to John Francis Daly, uh, the Flash movie is indeed getting ready to go in front of cameras very soon. So him and his partner, Jonathan Goldstein, are stating that this is going to be filming right around the same time. Birds of Prey, they will both be shooting in Atlanta and will start filming uh, officially uh, in February of 2019. So it sounds like uh, this is about to get kicked off in a big, bad way. So uh, right moving over to the Joker film by Todd Phillips. A movie that we're watching very, very closely had some big, big news break out this week. Uh, the smaller story is a comedic actor uh, that most people know from the Goldbergs, who's also appeared in The Hangover and other roles in the past. Uh, things like Mad TV and Oz. We found out comedian. Uh, sorry, give me a second. <clears throat> Yeah, take a drink, dude. Do whatever you got to do. It's, it's fine. <laughs> Brian Callen <laughs> will be joining the Joker film. It sounds like he's going to. He was offered a part. He said he officially is doing the film. Uh, he said the part that he's been playing is uh, he's an aging stripper, and he said he won't go into details. And he said uh, <laughs> he, he knows absolutely no details he can bring up about this at all. He says. But he does hope his psoriasis is flaring because that would be hysterical. I, I, I love this because I love Brian. <laughs> he's Callen like, I'll so be in much. a speedo. I can't wait. I definitely have some ideas. Um, <laughs> so while that is kind of a just fun little thing, we do know it's a very small character. It sounds like he's only going to be on set for a couple days at maximum. Uh, we did find out, though, officially, as we reported last week, that Robert De Niro was being looked at. Uh, we found out from an un, unexpected source that Robert De Niro has absolutely been cast. And this came from another new cast member, Mark Marin, who has also joined this uh, this film. So uh, Mark Marin coming out and saying officially, yes, yes, it's true. Uh, both myself and De Niro have been cast in the Todd Phillips Joker film starring Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, they did not elaborate on this uh, too much with it. He said, I'll be honest with you, Marin said. My agent's trying to get me an audition for this film, proceeding my rants. I don't think my opinions have changed at all. Uh, I have in my life, as I mentioned before, re- uh, before read plenty of comics. And the bottom line is this. I never thought in my life would be t- take me where I am now. I didn't assume anything when I started this podcast other than I hope I could stay alive. Uh, I don't know if I can. Uh, I didn't know if I can make a living and who knows where I was going to end up. But holy crap. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so he's uh, he's incredibly, incredibly pumped. Uh, so he's uh, definitely joining into the uh, the role and the ranks of what sounds like it's going to be a very interesting movie. That's what I say, man. Every week we talk more and more about this movie, and I get more and more intrigued every time we talk about it. I really, really, really can't wait to see what they're going to do with it, and I hope they do it right. Uh, and then the last couple small stories revolving around Matt Reeves' Batman film, uh, which is 
feels like those rumors just go on and on and on and on <laughs> every week. Uh, but uh, we did get some things real quick. Well, actually, before we get to that, there's a little Batman adjacent story. Uh, Zack Snyder did apparently respond on somebody's uh, Tumblr page where they were talking about some shots about that Robin suit that had been speculated for since Batman versus Superman came out. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, you know, well, such and such about Jason Todd's death. It's a shame, you know, uh, you know, but the great thing about that is maybe we'll see a Red Hood movie in the future. Uh, and then, uh, well, Zack Snyder burst the bubble of pretty much everybody on that one by saying, nope, that was Dick Grayson that died, uh, officially. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, um, we're really happy that you're not involved anymore. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. So, but you never know. Things always change. So. But and again, because it's never said just because it's Zack Snyder's opinion doesn't mean it's Warner Brothers opinion. So if they do continue with that continuity down the road, anything can happen. So, yeah, there's nothing that absolutely confirms in the movie that says that's Dick Grayson. So it could very it could very well they could could very easily change that in the continuity. Uh, What was also interesting, too, uh, according to Justice League, uh, there's been this long ongoing debate if this Snyder cut actually exists. A couple of weeks ago, a couple people did state officially that I've worked on that film. Absolutely not. There is no Snyder cut whatsoever of this film. Well, apparently that is not entirely true. Uh, people have been clamoring for that version to come out just because so, people want to see what the alternate version of that movie actually was. Uh, but it sounds like officially um, I couldn't find the name of the person, but they did come out anonymously. But it has been confirmed this was somebody that did work on the film and has seen the cut and said, uh, yes, the the cut of uh, Snyder's version of that movie is indeed something that's real. It was actually shown to the Warner Brothers execs. So it is out there. No, uh, he could not comment if the film was fully complete as far as effect work. But I uh, did say that movie does exist out there in the wild. But uh, he said more than likely we'll never see the light of day. Uh, this, I mean, this this just kind of reminds me of like the going back to to the original Superman of like the Donner cut. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe 10 to 15 years from now, something will happen. And that does get released out in the wild. So who knows? Yeah. Uh, but uh, moving on to Matt Reeves version of the film, uh, he did say uh, the film will hopefully be filming indeed in 2019. Uh, he did go on to say that uh, that, uh, you know. This, the script is on pretty much in the process of being completed as we speak. Uh, Matt Reeves actually came out and said uh, our draft will be in probably in the next week and a half to two weeks. Uh, he actually was just at a project recently where he was finishing some stuff up at the TCAs. And uh, he said uh, what he was heading back to his home to do was to complete the last few pages of the script and go over things before uh, showing that to the folks over at Warner Brothers. But he said uh, this is very much going to be a classic noir uh, style Batman story. And it sounds more and more like uh, this could be leaning closer to almost a Batman year one type of story. But no, uh, no definite on that, that it's following that path. But it sounds like that's going to be more of an idea of um, where it's going. But they did say it will be very heavily noir influenced. So uh, very much. I can dig that. Yeah. Uh, but that wraps up the news for us this week. So cool. Uh, all right. So let's do a couple quick recommendations, our cheap plugs, and then we can, uh, we can get out of here because I know we both have things to do today. Uh, for starting off first with my recommendations for the week, I, you know me at this point. I tend to lean away from DC recommendations unless there's one that's absolutely out there. So, I mean, I'll say again. Teen Titans, if you haven't seen it, go see it. But my recommendations for this week, uh, I did have an opportunity to see a movie this week at the theaters that I absolutely adored, and that was Christopher Robin. Uh, I saw it twice, actually. My first time, my first time was during an advanced screening, and it, it didn't exactly go so well. 
Uh, I had a lot of interruptions during that, that screening. So I, I went and saw it again Thursday night. And to anybody who is a fan of Winnie the Pooh, I, I mean, I grew up on it and it's just, it's, it's wonderful to, to revisit those characters. Uh, the only other thing I can recommend this week is Rob, something you and I were talking about as we were prepping. Uh, in the past two and a half weeks, I've been pushing through all five seasons of the, of the TV show Brooklyn Nine Nine. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. The show is absolutely hysterical. <laughs> um, so I, I'll put that out there. Uh, recommendations as for me, I will share Ben's uh, early statement too about Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Uh, Jackson Howard, a uh, good friend of ours from the show and community member, uh, did get a chance to see it. And uh, he did state in his comment uh, that I saw is uh, that after listening to our, our discussions about it, after he saw it with his, uh, his kid, he was saying straight up, Holy crap, everything we said was true, and he adored it. <laughs> so uh, don't take just our word. Uh, this is definitely a word-of-mouth movie. If you love those characters, if you have a family, you're trying to get them into comics, this is a great, enjoyable way, especially if they've seen Teen Titans Go. And even if you've seen a couple episodes, dude, if you want a good laugh, this is uh, this is the next Deadpool, essentially. But it's a I, I may go, Deadpool. <laughs> I may go see it again, yeah. to be completely honest. Depending on what time I get done, what I'm supposed to do today – uh, on my travels home, I if if I pass the theater and it's around the time the screening is showing, uh, I might be stopping in. Uh, as for my other recommendation, real quick, um, oddly enough, I watched a movie I haven't watched since I was about five years old last night with my wife. Um, I know what it is. If you haven't seen it in a very long time, man, it was thoroughly enjoyable. The Black Cauldron by Disney, uh, <laughs> made in 1985, uh, and uh, one of the early first films, animated films, by the by the way, that used uh, CG. That was rotoscoped over. Uh, it, it's such a different and stunning looking film. I didn't remember it almost at all, uh, based off of the Chronicles of Dane, which is like my wife's some of her favorite books she's read in her entire life when she was growing up and still goes back to um, as much as. You know, we used to hear Christopher Lee talk about, you know, uh, his love of the Lord of the Rings. My wife loves those books. Um, and uh, I did not remember the movie at all. I remember seeing it and I remember being four years old and it terrifying me. Um, and watching it now was I was like watching it for the very first time, but really fun and very enjoyable, especially for a kid's movie. So uh, oddly enough, though, too, the very first uh, I'm putting my Ravenclaw hat on for a second. My <laughs> very, very first animated disney movie to get a pg rating and it was the first and only up until 2000 when dinosaur uh received a pg rating uh it was a movie that was also cut down twice because it had a pg-13 and an r rating before it was released so pretty crazy uh oh, but i wonder if you can get your hands on those no nah, they said those cuts don't exist they never made oh. it out in the wild but uh Kind of crazy though, huh? <laughs> so yeah uh but yeah um uh, man it was fun it was really really fun and enjoyable so you know what? I haven't seen that movie since the 80s either, to be completely honest. And maybe that might be one I need to go back and rewatch. <laughs> I, I might have to do that. Uh, but cheap plugs. And then we're going to get out of here. Uh, starting off first, as I mentioned before, we want to hear your opinions on everything. And here's how you can do that. First off, uh, we encourage you to check out our other podcasts here on the podcast, uh, the Next Level Podcast Network, Next Level Radio Online.com, Facebook.com slash Next Level Radio Online. The Facebook page for this podcast is Facebook.com slash DC Primetime. And um, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> Uh, as for me, you can find me at the Caffeine Crew Cast of Pods. Um, uh, we're doing our uh, next monthly episode probably in the next two to three weeks, give or take. We'll, it'll definitely be out before months end. Um, probably coming out around like the, the 20th, right around there. Uh, but the next episode will be our Jim Henson episode. I'm really looking forward to diving into it because 
man, uh, our love of 80s movies is a big yep. part of that. Uh, but you know, we were even saying it was watching Black Cauldron last night. Man, they just don't make movies like this anymore um, that just don't have that tactile, tactical feel and just really just go into that realm of imagination the way that they, they used to. Uh, that just everything feels tangible and, and wonderful. And Jim Henson was a man that really was responsible for that. Um so I'm really looking forward to doing that. If you haven't checked out the last episode, that was our Mythology and Legends episode. Definitely check that out. We definitely get a little bit of comic discussion in there, too. So a little bit of a DC Prime adjacent. But uh, definitely give that a listen and uh, be ready for the next episode coming out soon. So I'm, I'm the only thing I'm worried about with the Jim Henson episode is the MFK. Because it's going to involve us sleeping with Muppets. Uh, we've already done it before, so it's okay. So <laughs> I don't know if I was a part of that. One. I, <laughs> I might not have been. been. No, uh, but right. well, we have a lot of different ones to pull from, so that's very, very true. We can uh, go with we can go with fraggles on this one. Ooh, yeah. What about <laughs> doozers? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. With that being said, we uh, we hope you guys uh, we thank you for being a part of this annual. Next week, uh, we're going to dive into our Flash season four annual, and uh, the week after that, we're going to do our Arrow season season six annual in which we just found out today we're going to have a special guest for that one so uh, more details for that one as we get closer but next week will be our flash annual uh but until then um be sure to leave us comments like share everything that you guys do online we appreciate you guys being a part of the community but until next time we'll see you guys around the bend take care peace